0: I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 163, and today's guest is Snagina Zachariah, founder and CEO of Insurify. The insurance industry is extremely complex, and it can be very challenging to break into as an industry outsider. After being in a minor car accident, Snagina's premium increased. Like any of us, she went online to find a better option, only to realize that a marketplace for insurance didn't exist all the existing websites were all lead gen. Well, the complexity of the insurance industry probably kept other entrepreneurs from trying to build this type of marketplace. But it was the aha moment that led Snagina to take on this challenge, which has required a tremendous amount of grit and determination. Insurify is reimagining the way you compare, buy, and manage your insurance online. Through artificial intelligence, they make insurance shopping simple, affordable, and hassle-free. The company recently announced $23 million in Series A funding led by MTech Capital and Viola Fintech. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Snagina's background growing up in Bulgaria and her professional career, including her move to the U.S., what led her down the path of starting Insurify and why she spoke with hundreds of people in the insurance industry before even starting to build out a core product, how she landed her first insurance carrier, which created a snowball effect, the current state and scale of Insurify, plus its growth plans ahead, advice on building a customer acquisition strategy, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Have you checked out our YouTube channel? It is loaded with lots and lots of great content from our interviews with founders, executives, and investors. You'll find lots of advice shared from these podcast interviews, plus our popular Inside and CXL briefing series. Go to youtube.com backslash to check it out. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Snagina. Gina, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. It's very nice to see you again, Kate. It's been a while.
0: It has been a while. And you've been very busy building Insurify and recently announced new funding. So we have a lot to talk about as far as uh, a company that you've built, kind of, a, I think the right way of a building a foundation and kind of getting to the point where uh, I can't wait to hear the exciting things that you have planned ahead. But I, I so, you know, I you, you and, and your husband are very uh, accomplished in, in, you know, in terms of entrepreneurial building companies. So I often wonder about company, you know, couples like that around the dinner table at night, you know, and the conversations that are held about probably, you know, building businesses and, and, and having children. So uh, I have two daughters, 15 and 13, and I wonder what they think about uh, as far as, you know, they only know me for running my own company since they've been born. So uh, I have a, Hopes that they're they'll be entrepreneurial someday too, but I, I would love to hear your feedback as far as you know those conversations that the kids here around the dinner table of building companies and you know there's there's a lot of struggle but there's a lot of reward and maybe what that may pass down to them.
1: Um, yes, we definitely have a lot of interesting dinner conversations, and I remember four um, years ago, I think may have been during the last uh, fine fundraising round, our daughter was probably seven or eight years old and she informed us that she wanted to start a company on her own and we're like okay so what company do you want to build and she said I'm gonna be writing books and the books will be math books we're like okay that sounds very interesting and and then she said and I'm gonna skip the whole fundraising part um (laughs) and then we were like so how are you gonna scale your company and her response was I'm just gonna sell my books and that's how I'm gonna make money so there It's definitely awesome. inspiring to see when uh, some of the things are picked up by the kids. And I have two, a boy and a girl, now 10 and 12. So it's been a, an interesting, challenging, and at the same time, very rewarding experience.
0: That's so awesome. Well, let's let's talk about your background. So where did you grow up and what were you like as a child?
1: So I grew up in Bulgaria, um, which was an ex-communist country. I moved here in 2003. I had already graduated from Bulgaria, bachelor, master's in economics, and I was working several companies and software companies. So one of the last companies that I worked for, NetAge, at that time, I think now they're acquired by a private equity company, um, moved me, relocated me to um, to the U.S. So that's how I ended up in Boston. And I love the city. Um, In terms of growing up in a communist country, I guess you don't know what you're missing because there is nothing better around you. So you actually end up growing a very happy and safe child. (laughs) Um, So it was uh, fine, but there was definitely a lot of change post-communism and like the hyperinflation and everything collapsing over a period of 10, 15 years. So it was definitely challenging. I think that the key lesson for me is that I ended up Uh, working after my first year in university and I was full-time in university and then I ended up Getting a job in a software company again full-time. So it was a lot of back-and-forth running um, to classes Um, Fortunately, they didn't require attendance on all of them. So that's how I ended up (laughs) Graduating successfully and still working full-time
0: yeah. So, so how are you managed able to manage your time? Cause that's, you know, having going to school full-time is a full-time job in itself. And then working full-time on top of that, it must've been, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's a very grueling period.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was hard, but it was mostly, you know, you have to get it done. It was uh, very much also a way that I could um, sort of fund my life in, in Sofia, in the capital. So even though I had a full scholarship that was state-paid based on sort of high, high scores, I still had to sort of work to be able to um, sort of live in, um, in a different city. So I had to do it. So I got it done.
0: <laughs> uh, okay. So then um, NetAge you know, brought you to, to Boston. So, so kind of what was your, your career when you first you know, came to the Boston area and, and take us forward from there?
1: Yes. Um, well, you never know how hard it is until you actually come in <laughs> and you see how hard it is. I, what I realized is that competition is so much stronger than anything I could have imagined that um, I basically was working almost um you know 16 hours a day all the time. Mm-hmm. So um it was important for me to prove myself and I had built a great career in Bulgaria and then selling uh the net products all around Europe as well as in the United States. So I had to the the uh, level of requirements were even higher once you move here locally. So I had to make it happen. And then um, a research company um, approached me, AMR Research, that was later acquired by Gartner. And that's how I ended up working for Gartner and continuing sort of to develop my career into more of a consultative and consulting roles and building out products for them across um, Europe, Middle East, and, and US.
0: And this was the the firm's fastest growing channel for their supply chain business. So you were, you know, obviously working hard, hustling, but you know, you were you were one of the top producers in at Gartner.
1: Right. So I think the biggest challenge was when I was uh, hired to build out the European supply chain business, because that was across 22 countries plus a little bit of Middle East and South Africa. And I was traveling extensively. So I felt a little bit like a zombie because I was still Boston based. Um, And I had uh, the two baby kids at home, which (laughs) didn't make it any better. (laughs) I was absolutely crazy um, looking backward, but at the same time, it was also one of the most rewarding parts of my work with Gartner, because as um, you mentioned, it um, ended up becoming one of the fastest growing channels and regions for Gartner. So it was extremely rewarding to build um, and work across teams of 22 countries and just be part of uh, some of their largest and the biggest um, uh, company strategic um, discussions at uh, one, some of their Fortune 500 companies in, in Europe. So it was very rewarding at the same time.
0: So you decided to go to back to B school. So you went to MIT Sloan. Was it was the decision there thinking, hey, maybe I want to start my own company, or was it just, hey, I'm, you know, kind of thinking about doing something else? And, you know, B school is a good way to kind of figure that stuff out.
1: So I was definitely looking to start a company. And it was one of these things that I do I quit and just start working on my own, or do I take a time um to sort of reflect and Get uh, to build my network as well as build my skills to to be more prepared for starting a company. Initially, my focus was actually on building a uh, demand forecasting predictive analytics company that was very much aligned with uh, what I've. um, studied and what we taught a lot of the fortune 500s uh, around supply chain optimization management mm-hmm. and then i um and i had a minor accident at mit which caused a spike in my uh premium so i ended up spending three and a half hours looking for quotes from website to website and i was so underwhelmed of the customer experience and so shocked of how con- unnecessarily confusing and complicated it was that it was uh very much like um enlightening moment i I remember sitting on the couch um my husband right next to me and i was like there was there must be something to be done in insurance it's such a huge industry if kayak has existed for 10 years before that and people have can buy a ticket within a matter of minutes why could we not do the same thing for insurance and and that's how, in
0: short, I was born. And I'm sure it was that aha moment where you're like, this is shocking. How does this not exist? And you're like searching it. It didn't exist. Now, yeah. I'm assuming there there is a reason why it didn't exist because yeah. it's really hard. <laughs> so we're going to talk about you building this business, which is really uh, remarkable in terms of what you've built and how you got there. But uh, so, so how did you start to get kind of your thoughts down, like because you were part of the... Uh, you know, the famed MIT 100K competition. So so how did you start to, to build things out?
1: So, yeah, it's amazing that Insurify was born at MIT. And then I had a couple of colleagues from MIT that we built the business plan and participated in the 100K competition. We actually, we were semifinalists in the competition, which was very rewarding, um, I had no idea how hard it will be and I think that's one of the benefits of being new to something to anything but at the same time being sort of extremely focused dedicated and and committed to what you're doing because there will be hundreds times where things are not working out or it's taking lo- much much longer than you could possibly imagine to get it off the ground and what i realized back then is that the hardest part was not yet building the tech. The hardest back well part was getting the carriers to want to work with us. So I ended up spending almost a year doing hundreds of phone calls and meetings with hundreds of different carriers. Everybody was asking, this sounds great, who else participates in the platform? And you Chicken cannot and get want to participate unless you finally get that you know first couple um so what we ended up doing in fact is we didn't have a product we 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 got a contract with an agency an agency that had uh, that allowed us to sort of get the first 10 carriers on the platform and we ended up launching with that so we were uh, the back, the front end of that agency and what we realized is that once we were out and active to the public after our official launch which was in January 2016 all the hard work that I have spent a year and a half before that of talking to carriers was paying off because all of these companies were coming directly to Insurify and they were like oh the product looks great. How can we participate? Mm. Um, so it was difficult, but you know, we got it done.
0: <laughs> yeah. This is a key part of the story the, the level of grit that went into building these relationships. So like you were, you know, just combing through LinkedIn, right. Finding people and then talking to people and then saying, okay, well, who do I need to talk to? Like, cause I mean, navigating insurance companies, it's not like they're small. There's like, hundreds, thousands of employees. So how did you navigate to find who's the decision maker? And then what were you identifying as far as their uh, appetite and, and pain point that was like, okay, there's a business here?
1: So it's, it's an interesting challenge because on one hand, carriers are threatened by us or they feel they want us to be successful, but not all insanely successful <laughs> because that is um, sort of they they. Uh, that could potentially be a threat to their sort of long term business. At the same time though, um I think that the biggest challenge for me was um not getting that phone call because I found that MIT opens doors absolutely almost I wouldn't say 100% of the time, but it was very high response rate up there. I ended up being a LinkedIn data miner. I come through contacts and then I was asking people to refer me to anybody they know um, that might be a good contact for me to talk to. And through these referrals and recommendations, uh, we ended up meeting with Joe Orr, who is now one of our uh, strategic advisors who helped us get that initial contract with the agency. And um, yeah, it was just never giving up constant emails and calls and and just asking for the next referral and the next recommendation.
0: Yeah, and this is all before, before building a product, like writing code to build, like, so you were doing all these customer interviews to see what the pain point is. So you're, you know, it's just a great lesson for entrepreneurs. like you can go build tech all you want, but if it's not solving a problem, you're just wasting time and cycles. So you spent a tremendous amount of time understanding what the industry problem was before you even built something.
1: Very true. So we actually raised our first uh, first, uh First fundraise was only based on a contract with the agency. A contractor was allowing us to to distribute the first quotes, and then we we got the funding. We didn't have the product yet; we hadn't started building it. Um, but getting those two contracts in place was sufficient for us to know that the re- the next the remaining is just work to get done.
0: No, and and you talk about landing your first contract. Even that, even when you have interest, there's a cycle of. I'm sure contracts legal, just, it's not something like, oh, let me, uh, send the two page service agreement over. And, uh, here's, you know, here's the invoice to pay by credit card. Uh, if only, right. So like, I imagine it was like a tremendous amount of time back and forth to narrow down the scope of that contract to actually finally land that.
1: Yeah, I think that the biggest challenge for us in terms of getting all of these carriers to participate is that we wanted them to treat us as an agency, but we wanted them to treat us as a digital agency. So we wanted to get paid on the policies we deliver, but and our focus was to digitize the experience and to let people buy as much as they can online or as they're interested. And if they're if they want to have a phone call to have that immediate transition with the full data pre out the call center of the carrier. And that was sort of a new concept for the carriers because they like to see you either you're either a legion or you're an agency. If you're an agency, where is your call center? And we've been very firm on like not owning a call center and we are, our focus is really to digitize and transform the whole user experience. And the reason is very clear. Having your internal call center provides a suboptimal experience because people don't work from seven to nine p.m. and don't call from seven to nine p.m. They might be calling at eleven p.m. or any time they feel available. So, in order for us to be able to be running. Thousands of phone calls daily, which is what is the volume that we have today. You have to be able to leverage the thousands of distribution network of agencies that are part of the carrier's call centers to be able to provide a good customer experience to the end consumer.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, that's that's a key piece that I didn't even think of. So um, bring us up. To, so you finally land your first one or two uh, customers. So so bring us up to date. Like so, that's two thousand and sixteen or two thousand and seventeen.
1: Two thousand sixteen, we launched with that sort of we were the front um, end of the agency, and then we started signing one at a time each one of carriers directly. So we started in some cases replacing them, in some cases just adding towards the panel of carriers we are integrated with.
0: Okay, so you started getting, you know, the supply side. So how do you get consumers to know about you and know that there's a marketplace to, uh, you know, find insurance?
1: Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we have always been obsessed with is efficiency, and efficiency and ROI. We, have, we are not big on growth for the sake of growth. Everything that we do at Insurify is trapped on a click level and we can measure, and this is like kudos to this great team that we have, this, we are able to measure the value of every click we buy back to the end of the supply chain to a final policy and estimate the probability of conversion of every campaign that we launch and every partner that we work with so that we know exactly how much each click is worth to us and that was something that we built from the very beginning so I guess one of the lessons if I have to give a few sort of um, takeaways from our experience so far is doing the things right it pays off in the long run because we didn't have to waste money on spending that tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on unprofitable marketing acquisition. We knew exactly what our target market is and what our customer segments are. And then we built the technology to be able to automate a lot of our campaigns. So big part of our growth and we were growing at 240% in the first couple of years was very much based on that, like being able to, Data mine the um, and uh, build out predictive algorithms that allow us to measure the quality of every click, and then through machine learning build out the, the engine that is very sensitive on the time of the day, types of the users that are coming, and the locations that people are coming from, because our profitability or, I should say, our, our monetization on every state is different. So being very, very granular, later um, definitely paid off from the very beginning. The second key growth um, uh, factor for us has been SEO. So if you Google "is you in the news, you will see hundreds of studies that are published around thousands of different um, websites and that has been a great sort of a guerrilla marketing strategy that we built from the very beginning because we don't need to pay for those people just pick them up because they love the information and the data that we are sharing through our own um, platform and then they just pick them up and they do their own derivatives. so we've been over 200 times on tv talking about the different studies that HRIFI is publishing and our third part of growth has been through partnerships and we do see certain alignments with either banks or other uh, major platforms that are focusing on providing unique value to the end consumer and um, offering insurance or insurance comparison as part of that total offering has very much paid off for us.
0: So just to dissect these a little bit, so when you were doing any paid um you know, pay-per-click advertising. So were you going more for the long tail keyword strategy? I mean, you, you obviously weren't paying for like car insurance, right? That's uh that's such a premium type yeah. of term. So, uh, so the algorithms you were generating were kind of predicting the long tail keyword strategy that would be a value and hopefully a profitable click.
1: Exactly, exactly. So our focus was not to compete head-to-head with the biggest gorillas. Um, We don't think we can do that yet. We do think that as we continue to build the platform, our monetization has tripled over time because the more carriers we add on the platform, the conversion rates increase and our monetization doubles and triples over time, but not there yet. So we had to outsmart everybody to be able to make it successful.
0: And on the, uh, the SEO side, so how were you able to build more of that uh, foundation to create the content, to create the studies to get it out there to the media outlets that were interested? Like, did you leverage an external PR firm? Or did you build that in-house combo?
1: We just hired, right? (laughs) We hired people with the expertise that have done it for other companies before. And our uh, head of SEO is a brilliant um, leader who has, um, he was working for Graphic, which was a company acquired by Amazon out of the West Coast and he came. Um, to the Boston area for Insurify and he's been key part of our success in SEO. Um, so all of it is done internally and we, uh, we have our internal motto is to own our own destiny, which means we as a company need to build our internal expertise to be able to do what we need to get done right and we might test with a couple of external partners but really the value is to be able to learn build our own expertise and then ultimately in the long run do it on our own
0: so you went on to raise a a round of funding from mass mutual and nationwide their their venture arm so now you're raising capital from the insurance giants themselves so so how how did that come about you know almost seems like they'd be like very strategic investors
1: so we, what we were looking for is we are the data science, the data geeks, the MIT geeks, and the thing that was missing as part of our sort of team and knowledge base was deep insurance connections and deep insurance expertise. So we were very methodical in our fundraising approach. We've talked to predominantly companies that have either insurance LPs, which means the investors within the funds are insurance carriers and insurance companies or the partners themselves are either long-term insurance or fintech executives that have moved into venture capital, or they have very specific focus in insurance. So they bring a lot of um, knowledge and insight into the driving strategies, what is happening out in the industry, what is happening in, in fintech, as well as giving us introductions to some of those carriers that we currently might not have on the platform. So that was our... Approach and it has worked amazingly. I will recommend both of these companies and our, our new investors uh, thumbs up.
0: Yeah. And so perfect segue. So you just announced a $23 million series A. Um, so now, you know, you've built this foundation, which again, I think it's an important thing for entrepreneurs to recognize, you know, the idea came about in 2013, you know, it's 2020 now. It's not like you came out of the starting blocks and was like, okay, we're going to build this marketplace and raise seven. Then you raise your 30. And this all happens within, you know, 24 months type of thing. It's a very, uh, slow burn type of approach versus what maybe some other people do.
1: And, And I think that the reason for that is the understanding. And I remember talking with our, uh, advisor back in the days because i was very impatient of how slow things were moving in the beginning and i'm like i was talking to joe and i was like jordan is one of our strategic advisors i'm like joe we don't have ears we have months we have weeks we have to move on and he was like Snijina, carriers are thinking in ears you cannot change that and i'm like Who knows what's going to be part of Insurify in a few years? We have to execute. So, the short story or the short answer to that is that you cannot control with 100 million or 10 or 20 or 50 how quickly carriers can work and how quickly carriers would be willing to adopt you. They go through their rigorous selection process, slower legal process, and then the follow-up integration process. So some of these things have moved on very fast for us, but the beginning was extremely slow. So raising a lot of money when your product is not there to put it out to the market is just practically insane. You can be You can either burn through a lot of cash or have it stay in the bank, which neither of do is a good option. So what we've done instead is that over the last four or five years, we've almost bootstrapped the company because we have been able to grow to $130 million premiums without almost any capital. And the way we've done that is through automation and machine learning and just building the right things and focusing, like extreme focus on what's paying off in the long term, both from a product development perspective, as well as from marketing acquisition and not waste our time or money over sort of unprofitable campaigns or just sort of fire in the sky, predictive analytics types of initiatives that might work or might not work and things like that.
0: Well, it just seems like it's such a win-win for you and, and the investors. And when you did go out to raise, it's like, I have this foundation, we have the technology, we have the customers, we have the contracts, we have the consumers. So you're in such a better uh, situation to raise that capital and obviously you have hopefully a higher valuation of what your business is worth. Versus raising money for the vanity metric of we have capital and investors believe in our mission, but we have no actual substance behind it yet. So it's just a much more... I think
1: because insurance is such a slow moving industry, I think it's definitely it's important for businesses to realize that and to also be aware that it will take time and raising a lot of money very early on adds additional pressure that founders shouldn't need because they need to focus on building the business and that business would not require an enormous amount of capital. It just requires the right um, product and and the right partnerships to have inputs.
0: Well, bring us up to speed then. So, um, you know, you did, did raise your, your a round. So 23 million. So where's the business today and kind of what's kind of the road ahead.
1: So what we've done today is we've been extremely successful in the car insurance industry. So most of our growth has come from car, although we have been successful in cross-selling both life as well as home insurance policies. So our focus for the next couple of years is to fully build the home insurance comparison and the life insurance comparison on Insurify so we can allow the customers to have sort of an intimate relationship with the brand that allows them to buy multiple different policies in one place and the longer game is to build out the insurance wallet um, a platform that allows the users to be able to manage their policies in one place renew in one place and really have everything being done through Insurify as a platform so we want to be the amazon of insurance
0: i'm shaking my head and i'm like oh my god that'd be amazing (laughs) because you (laughs) deal with you know your car your house your life like all these different entities where it would be so much simpler if it was just in one spot and you know, yeah. you you're getting a great policy, a great price and you know, all the above. Yeah. Well.
1: We see that 30% of the users on our platform are first-time buyers of car insurance, which is a unique opportunity to build a relationship with a customer throughout their lifetime. So we are getting them the first car insurance, then we are getting them the first renter's insurance, then we are getting them the home. And when they have their child, we will give them their life insurance. So building that connection and long-term sort of relationship with the customer is something that we are focusing on very much.
0: So the other thing, you know, we, the common theme for this is, uh, you know, being patient and, and you, know, uh, you know, building and being smart as far as how you're building it. So you're always kind of a, had a lean team. So, so it was amazing what you've been able to accomplish with such a you know, small team. So what is the size of the team? And then, uh, you know, with this capital, I assume you're, you're expanding the team.
1: So, uh, we are a total of 30 people. Half of us are here in Boston and the other half are offshore. And our goal is to to grow the local team of 60 um, over the next uh, two years. And the focus for the hiring is a lot of engineers, a lot of uh, data scientists, a lot of product, as well as marketing. Um, Marketing in our organization is run through the data science organization. So, building out a more of a, a larger data science team to automate more of the marketing campaigns would be a continuous focus for us.
0: So uh, you came into this business as an outsider and you built a tremendous amount of knowledge by talking to people about the industry. So what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs around that of, you know, someone that has a great idea yet no you know, 10, 15, 20 years of experience working in that industry, you know, how to go about solving that problem?
1: I think that that it requires a lot of work, a lot of hard work, a lot of networking and a lot of reading and also a little bit of humility and understanding that you don't know it all and it will take some time patience and focus um, and and I would um, also recommend being part of a lot of those accelerators if there's one thing that i will do again is try to be part of either mass challenge or tech in boston or y combinator and really being able to be surrounded by more entrepreneurs and learn from their mistakes and learn from their knowledge i think that what i realized back in the days is that i underestimated the power that the network of um of co-entrepreneurs bring to the table. And I think it's extremely important. Um, networking is absolutely important. So I remember people were seeing me at conferences and they didn't have anything to show, but I was meeting with them <laughs> and I was making those connections. So I highly recommend that as well.
0: Yeah, get out there. Talk yes. to people.
1: Show up is 50% of the
0: work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, now looking back, um, are there any other like kind of lessons learned of like wow, you know if I if I only knew X, I would have done it differently type of stuff.
1: I think that the one that I mentioned about uh, sort of uh, valuing the building out a good network of other entrepreneurs is extremely important because especially for first time founders, I think we underestimate how much longer it might take and how much harder it could be. So having that network of knowing that you are not the only one in the very early days is extremely important. Um, Networking, as I mentioned, is super important. And also the other part is um, finding the right founding team, a a good, strong founding team of partners that are complementary in terms of skill set. I think that's also extremely important because doing it on on your own, um, a lot of people have done it and it could be done, but definitely it's a long journey. So it helps to have strong founding team with you.
0: Now, if you're fortunate enough to raise capital and you have, you know, multiple term sheets of VC firms interested in in investing in a business, what advice would you give to founders on, uh, you know, selecting the right VCs to to partner up with? Um,
1: Reputation of the VC is one of the most important things. Reputation of the partner in the VC is probably the first most important thing because the VC might not be, uh, might have an amazing reputation, but you might not be talking to the best partner there. And ultimately it's the partner who will be sort of in the long run with you so that is very important. So what we did as part of our um, process is we had done very extensive sort of um, checks, calls with partners, founders that have already received money from the uh, venture capitalists that were interested in investing in us. So we knew from the beginning that we are there for the long run with them and uh, the next would be just evaluating fit in terms of interest of the businesses and and also um, sort of deciding on the right structure of the relationship.
0: So do your own due diligence on the firm and the yeah. partner you're going to be working with. And, um, you know, I've, I've even heard, you know, it's um, it's kind of like doing a reference check for a hiring. It's like, you know, you, you're going to get references of the good, but you got to scope out when things didn't go so well, you know, how did that person respond when things were a little chaotic and you want to make sure you're partnering with the person that's going to be there for the long haul and support you versus be erratic or something.
1: Absolutely. 100% agree. And in that respect, so far, we have been very fortunate um, initially with our initial uh, angel investors, uh, George Kasapchi and Mark Rosenblatt, and later on with uh, Mass Mutual and uh, Nationwide, and now with the new partners. Um, I really um, have huge respect for the experience and expertise that they bring to the table.
0: So if I was um, interested in building out a marketplace, um, like you talked about, you were fortunate to have, you know, a good strategy where it was very tech enabled and um, you know, some entrepreneurs might have a great idea, but not really sure how to put all that into place as far as finding the right technical person to, you know, build the algorithms and the tech to make the customer acquisition strategy thrive or have that great SEO marketing person that's going to help. So what advice would you give there on building a marketplace and, you know, um, you know, more on the customer acquisition side?
1: um so the the biggest uh the market marketplaces are tough and they're tough because you it's a chicken and egg sort of a problem you cannot how you cannot it is insane for you to be spending money on customer acquisition before you have a robust marketplace so you can deliver value to the end consumers. A lot of these uh, sort of distribution partners would not want to participate, which is kind of our problem in the beginning I sure if I, unless you kind of can show that you have a track record and you can buy your customers effectively and you can acquire the right customers for them. So we think Making sure that you're building out your expertise and you're building out the distribution side or the content side of your platform together with the customer acquisition is very important. And really, ideally, trying to build out, trying to find a shortcut, like our launch was a shortcut in a sense so we didn't have to make it perfect but it was comprehensive enough that people were happy we had some of the best brands there from the very beginning including progressive and, and insurance and all of the major companies so getting it right somehow it, it paid off <laughs> and then working on the customer position um that's my biggest advice
0: now you have a, a great name Insurify, insurify.com. So was that domain available or did you have to scoop that up? I'm always fascinated with the domain acquisition stories.
1: So <laughs> it we started with Insurify with an E mm-hmm. and because the Insurify part was not available and then we found out who owns that brand. It was an engineer out of the UK and mm-hmm. our head of engineering um, was able to sort of look him up, connect with him, and he negotiated our sort of acquisition of the of the key brand. Um, we did go through a process of do we like the name, uh, do we not like the name, is it not too long or too complicated, and at the end, all of the other options were not as good as insured by, so we, we kept that name.
0: Um, you're busy building a company, uh, you have a family, so I probably can answer this question already, but uh, outside of work, what do you like to do? <laughs>
1: So one of my passions is skiing. Um, Actually, last weekend, I was part of a race, a local race. Our kids are participating in a ski race team. So I was also part of the race. Um, It was fun. And I think skiing is one of these uh, sports that allows you to sort of focus and execute on your own and be out in the mountain um, in a very cold weather when, when usually you're your natural instinct to stay warm and maybe even have a glass of wine. Um, But that's one of my passions. The other one is um, spending time with the kids. Um, I just started with that one. (laughs) Obviously, that is something that um, doesn't go that's a time that will not be returned. So, trying to optimize the small amount of time that we have and being present with the kids is extremely, extremely important because helping them become confident and um, smart people on their own and on their own future is is one of the most important things that we can do as parents.
0: So, yeah, and it, you know, people always say it, but it's so true. It goes quick, and to say that I have a sophomore that's, you know, starting to think college stuff is just like crazy it's insane
1: yeah it's stressful probably too
0: (laughs) yeah no it's just like wow I mean it's you know it's fun because she's kind of like the world is her oyster and you know since my background is recruiting I can advise her and just say hey the world is your oyster and whatever you want to tackle you know there's a way to get there just got to make it happen
1: that's right, and and for that matter, Venturefees has been a great platform for us for customer uh, for uh, hiring and acquisition. So um, well done with the platform, Keith. I really um, enjoy working with you and also um, leveraging your platform for hiring. It's been great for us.
0: Well, thanks so much for the uh, the uh, unsolicited testimonial. That's amazing. <laughs> Well, Snagina, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background. Obviously, the great story of building and Insurify, and I'm looking forward to seeing the future ahead.
1: Thank you, kids, and uh, good luck to you as well. Take care.